We've been uh, talking about thoughts recently, our thought lives. Friday, we asked uh, if God can read our thoughts, and the resounding answer is yes, God can read our thoughts, and not only our thoughts, but also the intentions of our hearts. And uh, that fact carries vast implications for each of us. It means God can, can see the difference between what we want to say and what we actually do say. He can actually weigh that difference, and so we can glorify God. Uh, by stopping sinful words from exiting our mouth. Mm. It's one of the fascinating implications that we looked at on Friday in ABJ 1917. And we're going to start this new week with another short but profoundly important question about our thought lives. It's asked by Garrick. Pastor John, can Satan himself put thoughts into our heads? Yes, he can, and he does. And, of course, the urgent questions then are, well, how do we recognize them, hmm. and how do we resist them? Yeah. They'll get controlled by them. But before I give some biblical examples of this, it would be good to remind ourselves that Satan's putting thoughts in our minds and putting desires in our hearts or our bodies are very closely related. Hmm. Sometimes he may put desires for something sinful directly into our hearts, followed by thoughts that justify those sinful desires. And sometimes he may do the reverse by putting deceptive thoughts in our minds that lead to sinful desires. Now, Garrick only asked about thoughts. But I just wanted to make plain that thoughts and desires are so closely related, we should be asking about both. So I'll keep that in mind. Let's start with the biblical text that actually uses the words that Garrick used in posing his question, namely, does Satan actually put put thoughts in our minds? And here's John 13. Verse 2, during the supper, that is during the Last Supper, the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. So the thought, the intention, the desire was there in Judas. Satan, John says, put it there. Now here's another clarification, though. That does not mean, it doesn't mean for Judas, it doesn't mean for us, that the intention and the desire did not arise out of Judas's own sinful nature. Hmm. He's described in John 12, 6 as a thief who's taking money out of the disciples' money bag. And it says he's a person who had no heart for the poor, which means he was also a liar which also means he was greedy. So we can infer pretty certainly from this that Jesus was not the kind of Messiah Judas wanted to follow. He had other things going on in his mind and heart. All Satan had to do was intensify and direct Judas's own sinfulness. And that's true with us as well. There, 
There's no clear, fine line between the thoughts that Satan puts and the thoughts that we come up with, or the desires that Satan puts and the desires that we come up with. So we don't know exactly how. It's these how questions that baffle us, isn't it? We, we don't know exactly how Satan interacts with our own sinful nature to do his ugly work. But I think it is fair to say that our own sinfulness is like an invitation, it's like a welcome mat and an open door to Satan. That's what Paul says in Ephesians 4.26. He says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't give opportunity to the devil. In other words, sinfully holding a grudge is like a welcome mat put out for Satan. And it works the other way around. When Satan beckons us to sin with deceptive thoughts or desires, our own sinful nature kicks in and makes those beckonings more attractive. So here's another biblical example to answer Garrick's question. Does does Satan put things in our heart? Here's Acts chapter 5, verse 3, where Ananias and Sapphira decide to lie to the apostles and keep back part of their pledge. Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? So Ananias and his wife had the thought, ah, let's make a little extra money for ourselves by lying about how much we sold our land for. And and the thought became a plan, and the plan became a deed, and Peter describes that whole process as Satan filled your hearts. Satan caused the plan to appear more desirable than honesty or worship. Satan's design filled them up and conquered all their other thoughts and desires. It was a pretty costly sin. Another example is um, how Satan moved King David to take a census in Israel against God's will. 1 Chronicles 21.1, then Satan stood up against Israel and incited David to number Israel, that is, to take a census of Israel. He put the thought in David's mind, and he made the thought look like military wisdom when it was, in fact, distrust Hmm. in God. And eventually he had to repent of that folly. And we might think, as we go back to the very beginning of the Bible, that the deception of Eve in the Garden of Eden uh, was not like the way Satan works today, because it, it was by means of an actual conversation between the devil and Adam and Eve or Eve. But Paul said, that Christians must be on guard against a similar assault, just like in the Garden of Eden. He said in 2 Corinthians 11.3, I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. So here. Satan's work in our minds is is called leading us astray, corrupting our thoughts 
So we don't know how Satan does it, but there it is. He does it. He can ruin and distort and mislead our thoughts and turn them into thoughts against Christ and for sin. Now, the main reality to keep in mind in all this is that Satan is a deceiver, a liar, a murderer. He works his destruction mainly by deceiving, by lying, sometimes with half-truths, but always with deceptive, murderous intent. Here's Revelation 12, 9, that says, The great dragon was thrown down, the ancient serpent, who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. And John 8, 44 says, The devil was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. All his thoughts, in other words, are misleading. They're misleading thoughts. Whether they're half-truths or whole falsehoods, they're, they're misleading. All his miracles are lying miracles. That is, miracles in the service of a lie which means that the central and steady state weapon against him is truth, Hmm. faith in the truth. Here's the way Paul says that, 2 Timothy 2, verse 25 and 26. We should correct our opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth, and here's the effect of that, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil. That's how he does it, knowledge of the truth. Jesus said, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Let me keep reading. I stopped in the middle of verse 26. They may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. How did he capture them? How did Satan capture them? By trapping them with lies. Untruth persuaded them to believe a lie. But putting lies, he put lies in their hearts by deceiving them that error is better than truth, sin is better than righteousness. And the remedy, Paul says, is speak the truth and show righteous love. And that's exactly what we get in in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 11 to 18. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And then six pieces of armor are mentioned, and four of the six relate directly to truth, because the schemes of the devil are lies, and we protect ourselves and others with the truth. Number one, the belt of truth. Number two, shoes of the gospel. Three, sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Four, shield of faith, which is the uh, faith in the Word of God. You, You have the Word of God in your hand like a sword, and you put the shield up, and you trust the Word of God, the truth. So I think the answer to Garrick's question is pretty clear. Yes, Satan 
can put thoughts in our minds. But God has given us everything we need to recognize them and renounce them. Here are the questions I think we need to ask of every thought that comes into our mind. One, is this thought false to Scripture? Two, is this thought false to the glory of Christ? Three, is this thought false to Christ-honoring love for others? Four, is this thought false to purity? Five, is this thought serving to make sin attractive and to make holiness unattractive? Hmm. If the answer to any of those questions is yes, then we remember Revelation 12, 11, where John says, they have conquered Satan by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. In other words, we turn to Christ, who loved us and gave himself for us, and we take hold of precious promises that he's given of his superior worth and helpfulness, and we testify to Satan, Christ is my truth, Christ is my treasure, be gone. And we turn and we walk with Christ in the truth. Fascinating. Yeah, John 13, 2 is so profound. Satan puts the thoughts and the desires into Judas's mind and heart. Wow, that's a haunting text. John 13, 2 is, is, is haunting, and it's only appeared on the podcast twice now. The first time was just back in December. Uh, what, what can Satan do to Christians? That was APJ 1869. What can Satan do to Christians? 1869, if you want more on this theme. Thank you, Pastor John. And thank you for joining us today. Ask a question of your own. Search for episode 1869 or subscribe to the podcast all at askpastorjohn.com. Well, who am I and how do I find my self-identity? We get that question all the time and we feel that next time on Wednesday. I'm your host, Tony Reinke. I'll see you then.